0: Welcome. You're listening to the Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back. I'm always appreciative of your listening ear, and so thank you for stopping by today. In this episode, we're going to talk about labels in categories, and I think you'll agree that very few people like to be labeled, you know, put in a box, because on a fundamental level, we understand that we're so much more than that, so much more inside, so much that we can't explain through a simple label. Now, as we dive deeper into this, even though you may not like labels, you're going to discover that you use labels a lot more than you think. You see, labels and categorization occurs on the other than conscious level. It's usually and typically outside our conscious awareness. See, it's a natural processing of the brain to generalize our experience. In fact, you know, we have all this information out there, an abundance of information. And in order to fit it all in our head, we tend to generalize, delete certain certain things that are non-essential and distort all the facts in order for it to fit into our perception, to fit into our current understanding. Now, this all begins for us typically around seven, eight, nine. That's when we begin to categorize the world. Before that, we're like in this hypnagogic state, total trance, and we're just absorbing all this information. And as a young child, you live totally in the moment. Although, Your amateur programmers, your parents, are labeling you as you go. You're a boy. You're a girl. You're chatty. You're so quiet. You're always bugging me. You young men are always looking for trouble. You're so curious. You're always looking and trying to find stuff out. You're so funny. Oh, don't mind, Susie. She's just shy around new people. It is around 7, 8, nine, where we begin to develop our sense of self, and we begin asking the question about our environment, our world, our social interactions, and trying to figure out who are we in relationship to everything out there. And in the process, we begin to categorize. You know, at that age, we're a preteen, and you look forward, and you know that being a teenager is something that you can look forward to and you have no idea what life is going to be like once you're a teenager. And then you know at 18, you'll be considered an adult. And then at age 21, there's a whole host of other things you're allowed to do. But again, it is at that age of seven, eight, nine when we become more consciously aware of the categories that we fit in. Are we smart? Are we dumb? Are we a geek? Are we interested in science or animals? Are we kind? Our race becomes more important, our heritage. Now, heritage is interesting. If you grew up in a first or second generation family that had immigrated to the United States, then you have a completely different relationship to your heritage than the majority of the people in the United States. For instance, my mother was third generation Polish. My grandmother was second-generation Polish. Her dad came over on the boat and immigrated to the United States. So the Polish influence, the Polish culture, was around me all the time. And as a kid, I was just aware of it. My grandmother spoke Polish. We did polkas. And my uncle played the accordion in his own polka band. But it really wasn't until I was nine years old when I began to realize that most people aren't Polish, that our experience is somewhat different than the majority of people. And I also became aware that many of my friends in school would be telling Polish jokes. Jokes where the Polish people were the brunt of the jokes. It was kind of implied that they were simple or dumb or something. I forget exactly. But I can remember being aware of it and not telling anyone I was Polish. Because I didn't want the, I guess, the weight of uh, the ridicule that my friends would bestow on me. Today I am completely proud of my Polish heritage, Polish, Czechoslovakian, German, French, Irish. It's all there. In fact, I can remember asking my father because I wanted wanted to know more about my heritage, like who was I, and he basically said I was a mutt. You're an American mongrel, and frankly, I like that description. Now, also in the age around 9, 10, I adopted the idea that I was shy. And as such, I was uh, reticent in beginning or in, in new situations. I would hold back. I'd wait for other people to approach me. But it was when I was 13 when I realized I had no friends. No friends I knew well enough that I would invite to a birthday party or some event that I was having and even though I could invite them or several people, I wasn't confident that they would even want to come. So I determined I had a shortfall in the friend department. So like anything else in my life, I'll take on the teaching of my father. When you don't know, look it up. So I went to the library and I found the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I devoured that book And the thing that stuck out the most is be a good listener, be more interested than interesting. And as a consequence, throughout high school, I was a member of several different groups at a time when most people were seeking to, I guess, collect and clicks and different groups. uh, I could move from group to group to group, even though I didn't really feel like I was a solid member of one, I was associated with many. I was an athlete, I was a banshee. I hung out with the burnouts, I was in the science club. Now, depending on which teacher you talk to, I was an excellent student or I was a poor or horrible student. I was lazy, I could do better. Well, the, the point of all that is that at one point I considered myself shy and I just rewrote the definition of what I was and how I wanted to be in the world. So the, the main purpose of I, I mean talking about this is that many people find labels or generalizations uh, limiting. It actually takes away part of our experience of life. It homogenizes our experience. And in many cases, those labels that we adopt and accept along the way that are handed to us by other people, and even those that we choose ourselves, while they may or may not be true, quote-unquote, Uh, In our acceptance of them, they become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I remember when I was married the first time around, and I, one afternoon, (laughs) it just is so, so hilarious. One afternoon, I'm sitting watching, actually, I'm laying on the couch watching a basketball game that was, I think it was the Celtics versus the Lakers, eating a bowl of potato chips, and I had a beer. And I set the beer down on the floor, and I'm eating the chips, and I get thirsty, and I reach down without looking, and I knock over the beer glass and spilled it on the carpet. And I was so disappointed that I lost my beer. My wife, she was angry that I had spilled on the carpet, and then she immediately began cleaning it up. And I said, I'm sorry. And I went out to the kitchen, got another beer and poured it in my glass and went to sit down to begin watching the game again. And she said, don't set that there. You're going to spill it. And I was like, I'm not going to spill it. And she said, you just spilled it. You're you're a spiller. Now, I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, she programmed me. I took the suggestion hook, line and sinker, and I became a spiller. From that point forward, I was spilling all the time. I spilled at the restaurant and she would reinforce it. See, you're a spiller. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's true. How did I go almost my whole life and not know that I was a spiller? I did not want to be a spiller. Now, fortunately, as far as this is concerned, uh, by the end of our marriage, we were married for five years. Um, I had become certified in NLP, neuro linguistic programming, and I had become a lot better in being a hypnotist. So I wanted to eradicate this idea from my consciousness, and I effectively deleted it. So much so that there's been times when I've been out with other people, and they went and knocked the glass off, and I reached out and I caught the cup, the glass, before it hit the floor. And in the 30 years after that, I've only spilled three times. But as you listen to my story, you might be wondering, how many suggestions have you accepted without filtering them? Labels that now live in your consciousness, unchallenged. They're there as part of your definition, part of your idea about yourself. Are you graceful, clumsy, angry, shy, Are you ditzy or intelligent? What is your capacity to do things? Are you successful, unaccessful? You see these labels, whether they are true or not, once we adopt them, there's a whole set of criteria that in order for that label to be true or to fit who we are, that we have to live according to that criteria. And as a consequence, it either expands possibility or contracts possibility. Now, depending on how much you identify with being a man or a woman, now, I am a man, I am male, uh, but I don't generally think about it a great deal, meaning that I don't have a set of behaviors uh, designed to reinforce the fact that I'm a man. I have many clients that are women. Over the years, I've attracted uh, the majority of my clients and students have been women. I would say 80 to 90% in most cases are female. Although I can say over the last four to five years, there's an has incre- been an increasing number of men, conscious men, seeking my services as a coach and as a teacher. I think in the past, it was just uh, the topic, you know, the topics that I would teach. Women just seem to be a little bit more enlightened. And that's me making a broad generalization about all the women. And I know there's a lot of women that are completely asleep at the wheel. But in working with women, I know that it usually factors in uh, in their idea of what they can do and what they can accomplish or what they can get away with. Some of them have actually said, well, I'm not a man. So it's 10 times harder for me to get things done or to accomplish things in the business world. Now, I'll admit there is bias. There is bias in the marketplace against women, against blacks, against uh, anyone non-white, non-male white, which I happen to be part of that uh, subgroup. But it's been my experience, and I have worked with a wide group of people over the last 30 years, all shapes and sizes, all colors, male, female, and in between. And I have this to say about that. Yes, there's bias out there. You cannot escape bias in any way, shape, or form. Everyone is going to be biased in one way or another. But if you do not accept it, if you do not accept the label, then you are in a position to challenge every other person's bias. You see, if you're black or a person of color, and you think you're limited because of it, then that's the damage that's been done. It's the idea that you've accepted the limitation. This is where the label becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy. Me being called a spiller became a self-fulfilling prophecy. It was a label I lived into. So my wish for you as a result of this podcast is that you begin challenging the labels that you've adopted and that you have been assigned throughout your life. Really challenge them as if they're, you know, they're faults. And if you're not sure whether a label is limiting you or not, adopt the opposite. If you're a woman and you don't feel it challenges you at all to be a woman, ask yourself, would life be any different? Would opportunity open up to me if I was a man? Would things somehow all of a sudden be easier? Another way to challenge this is whether it's gender or color. um, What about the stereotype? What about the perception that other people have? Am I buying into? What am I accepting as true, even though it doesn't resonate with me as a definitive statement? Another question is when you're reviewing, challenging a label, ask yourself, how do you know? Who gave you this label? Is it true? Is there any, you know, could it possibly be false? I had a client come to me one time, a man. He was in his mid-40s, and he wanted to start working out. And I said, what stops you? He says, well, I've never been an athlete. I said, so? He says, well, I've never been an athlete. So working out is going to be 10 times harder for me. Well, I said, not necessarily, you're a human being. The fact that you haven't competed in sports means nothing. Once you start moving your body and you invest yourself in the movement, you can now declare yourself an athlete. He says, but I'm not an athlete. I said, one moment. And I took my hands out and waved him over his head and said, hocus pocus, mini ha ha. You are now an athlete. He said, that doesn't really change anything. I said, what makes you an athlete and what doesn't make you an athlete? He said, I'm not sure. I said, have you ever gone bowling? He said, yes, I've gone out with the guys. And, you know, my wife and I, the family, have gone out bowling a couple times. I says, well, you're an athlete. Only athletes play games. And if you don't believe me that anyone can be an athlete, all it takes is desire. Let me take you down to the Special Olympics and I'll show you heart and virtually no athletic ability and it will completely change your point of view. So on the tail end of that question, how do you know? Is it absolutely true? Could it be false? You ask this question. Can you find an exception to the rule? Can you find an exception where the stereotype doesn't fit, the label doesn't fit, either in your life, in your behavior, where the label just does not apply? If it doesn't apply once, it doesn't apply or have to apply ever. Now, so far we've talked about limiting labels. You can adopt a label that's empowering. Now, I started coaching, quote-unquote, before coaching was a thing, before they called it coaching. But I don't even completely like the word coaching. I'm more of a change agent. I'm a catalyst. I help move things. I help transform things. Because sometimes I don't even use my words. I use my energy. I use who I am as a being, a human being to make things move, to shift them. So I've actually been reassessing the whole title of coach. I basically adopted it along the way because it was a a handy way to talk about uh, certain aspects of what I can do and what I do for people. So some labels are useful. And when they're useful, use them all the time. But realize that in using a label, there are certain limitations implied In the label. So, if we can put a fine point to this, how do you challenge? How do you know which labels to challenge? Well, first off, just write down with a pencil and paper, or a computer, or a voice to text, and list off the different attributes, labels, adjectives that you would use to describe yourself. And this is also one place where it might be useful to engage. Uh, somebody else that knows you and have them offer up their observations. Now, understand if you do that, do not feel criticized if they give you a label or apply a label that you don't like. Respond this way. Well, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. And write it down. You see, I want you to be responsible. That if someone offers it up to you, understand on some level, it's in your consciousness. In some level, it's, it's in your performance. It's in your expression. So if you don't like it, this is an opportunity to eradicate it. And when you're making your list, look at any label that defines your self-concept that maybe makes you feel a little less than amazing. Write down any label or identify any label that limits your possibility, limits performance, limits what you can do in the world. Then one by one, challenge each of the ones that you want to shift. Challenge it by asking, is there an exception to the rule in my experience? If I've been labeled clumsy, is there ever been a time when I've done something gracefully? Can I brush my teeth? Can I get dressed gracefully? When you lift the fork off the plate and bring it to your mouth, can you do it with a certain amount of grace? You see, you're not clumsy all over the place. You have moments of grace. You have moments of not so graceful. But in identifying the exceptions to the label, it no longer becomes all pervasive. You actually weaken its hold on you by establishing doubt as to the accuracy of the description. So what do you do with something like the color of your skin? Like I look in the mirror and I can see that I'm Caucasian. And, you know, anyone I ask, they will probably say, I'm Caucasian. So what I want to do is stop making it important. And I have made it unimportant. It does not define me. Now, I admit, if you're black, a person of color in the United States, there's a whole lot more baggage That's needed to unpack, but it begins with you saying the color of my skin does not define me. If I could wave a magic wand, it would be that race and color has nothing to do with how people are treated. I bought the line that Martin Luther King Jr. delivered in the, I have a dream speech. Now he was talking about his children, but I think about it for everyone in general that we all live in a nation where we will not be judged by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. So make the choice that the content of your character is more important and overshadows anything to do with your skin. Little ways that I do that for myself is that if I ever fill out a form and it asks what my race is, I check other. If I ever have to point somebody out in a crowd... I never do it by the color of their skin. It's always some other reference to them. I went to an event one time with my friend Marcus. It was a, a big public group event. And I ran into another friend of mine when we were, Marcus and I were separated. And uh, Mike asked me, uh, Are you here by yourself? And I said, No, I'm here with my friend Marcus. And he looked around and says, he's not, I don't see him. And I said, well, he's standing over there. He's in line. And uh, he said, point him out to me. And I said, he's the third one from the back. He's got a purple jacket on. Once he zeroed in on him, he exclaimed, why didn't you tell me he was black? I said, it wasn't important. And it's true. There's at least 50 other ways you can describe someone aside from the color of their skin. There's a number of different ways that you can adopt to lessen the importance of skin color in your life. A couple years ago, I selected an avatar. You know, it's something that I can send in messages and post on social media. And the avatar has purple skin, has a white goatee, and a white cap. I did keep my blue eyes. Now, I don't know if I should say this, but I'm not ashamed of being white. I just don't think it's important. I'm certainly not proud that I'm white. I am what I am. Now, four or five years ago, my wife did uh, send off a, a sample of my saliva for a genetics test. as she wanted to see what my heritage was. And we, we traced it to some interesting places. But I was actually a little disappointed that I had zero relatives in Africa. My origin is somewhere in Native America or Asian. But I also have Neanderthal, uh, actually more so than the majority of people. So there was some interspecies shenanigans going on in my distant past. I also have a genome, I share a genome with King Louis Fourteenth. So I have royal blood. I'm a royal caveman. And I tell you all that... Uh, One, I just think it's interesting. And the other is that in this lifetime, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. It's the attributes and characteristics that you choose to adopt, that that you choose to live and and have part of your self-identity that makes the difference. One quick story of a friend of mine from my early 20s was Antonio Martinelli. And he was such a over-the-top, emotional guy. And I can remember asking myself, like, why are you such always over-the-top? He says, you don't understand. I'm Italian. We're passionate people. Which I thought was so interesting because uh, Tony was very little, very little about him was Italian, aside from his name. But what that taught me was that you can adopt an idea. You can adopt the fact that you're passionate and live passion in your life, you don't have to get it from outside sources. You can just choose it. So I am absolutely inviting you to destroy and dismantle the labels in your life unless they serve you. If they don't serve you, get rid of them. Drop them. They were more than likely given to you by someone else that didn't know who you really were or are. Choose the story that you want to live. Choose the story of your own self-expression. All right. This is Daniel De Novi. It has been fun. Follow your bliss and live the epic life.